Well, it's an amazing privilege to be here and to feel and to feel right at home because I see so many familiar faces. I forget names, which I did a brother Telosa here this morning, but now I've remembered it at least for a few more hours. Um, and uh, it's a joy to be here. And thank you, brother uh, Wesco. Thank you for your love for um, my father and uh, the privilege uh, for us to partner together in the morning service. We'll just share a little, a uh, few pictures about. Uh, him and a few testimonies, just I know that it'll just uh, comfort all of our hearts. Uh, but this is, uh, this is my father's first Sunday in heaven. And just to think of the privilege to be able to say, my father is in heaven. Amen. Think about that. Think of all the amazing things. My dad has traveled. He's been here and there. And I could say, yeah, my dad's over there. My dad's over there. Today, my dad's up there. Wow. Uh, and when someone you love is there... It sure makes it feel a whole lot closer um, and real. I can't imagine what Dad is experiencing uh, in the presence of the Savior, uh, whole and and um, just. Uh, it was a, a strange thing. A couple about maybe three or four weeks ago. Now we were caring for him up in Wisconsin, and he lost his phone. It was just nowhere to be found between Melody's house and the trailer. It disappeared. Uh, and was never found. Uh, a day or two later, I went up to the Verizon store and switched over and bought another phone and set it up for Dad with my fingerprint. And so, lo and behold, I got my Dad's phone with me. I better silence it just in case uh, he tries to call. Or <laughs> uh, It came up with an, a note, your screen time was down 65% last week. Well, that's one way to get screen time down, folks. Um, you know, die and go to heaven. Leave your phone behind. I think probably most of us would be better off with that anyway. Um, and uh, so, uh, but it's been awesome to actually have access into Dad's phone, all his contacts. And I think I I don't know if I used it to call you yesterday. I, I used it to call Brother Vito Ruli yesterday. And he what he cuts this he answers this can't be Gary. <laughs> <laughs> I could have called on my own number, but, you know, if it's not a number you know, you just let it go. So I thought, he'll see that one. <laughs> he'll answer that number. And sure enough, uh, we're going to be with him this evening. And uh, that's a blessing. The, the, friend, the friendship with churches right here in South Bend has meant a lot to my father. Uh, and we'll talk about that um, at, for a few minutes in the, in the morning service. Um, <clears throat> Turn with me to Psalm 139, Psalm 139, and uh, verse 9 and 10 are a couple verses that mean a lot to me and a mean a lot to this presentation, actually. Um, actually, it's a large, it's, it's the foundation for why I'm even standing here um, talking about what we're going to talk about here today. And Psalm 139, verses 9 and 10. It says, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. God gave me that verse about oh, uh, close to about a year ago as I was thinking about a trip. I just came back from in March to Papua New Guinea. On the trip to Papua New Guinea, um, I had a flight arranged for Friday to arrive in Weewak, um, which you'll get a little acclimated to here in a minute. And, uh, but that flight got delayed. 
So the Friday night flight didn't happen. Instead, it was a Saturday morning flight where I had to get to the airport, I think it was 5 a.m., something like that, and we flew out while it was dark. And it's a short trip, maybe 45 minutes, and as I was arriving in the plane in Wewak, which is this region of Papua New Guinea, the sun was just rising on a Saturday morning. And this verse was already on my heart and mind regarding that place. And I had the privilege of literally arriving there on the wings of the morning. And I felt God's hand was just in that. Even the delayed flight brought me into this region literally on the wings of the morning. And uh, it's a credible comfort to know that even there, your hand is going to guide me. And your right hand is going to hold me. A couple weeks ago, uh, I was with my father uh, on a Sunday morning. I may reference this in his funeral on Thursday. Uh, we had a sweet time of fellowship, and at the end of it, we're, 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 uh, we both prayed, and, he, and he, our spirits were just all alive. And he reached out with his hand, totally on his own initiative, and he held my hand. And he said, Mark, God's got you with his right hand. I didn't make that moment happen at all. In fact, it was one of the last sweet moments of fellowship that we had. And my mind races to the verse in Psalm 139 that God has given to me for what just lies ahead, in which God says, your right hand is going to hold you. And out of God, God moving in my dad's spirit, God was just echoing in my heart. He's got you by the right hand. Uh, and uh, a deep connection to what God's doing. And I, I just want to say to all of us, and I think we'll touch on it in the morning service, if we're on mission for the Lord, we have nothing to fear. Amen. Nothing to fear. And what a comfort this is. Well, let's take a trip. Young people... Adults, let's go to Papua New Guinea here this morning uh, and, and just talk a little bit about this, this place, the flag. Uh, the bird of paradise is part of what they, uh, 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 what they celebrate, and it's on their flag. And they call it the land of the unexpected. I, I think that's just a good excuse for poor planning. <laughs> and that's Papua New Guinea. Poor planning is everywhere. Don't make plans without expectation of delays. They're coming. Uh, hold on for a crazy ride. Well, it's a beautiful place. Um, I actually took that photo. I couldn't believe the beauty of that moment. It's, on the, it's in the South Pacific, just south of the equator. Um, and uh, looking out on that Pacific, and the island, Musho Island, is what you're looking at. Very curious spot. I don't think you can see it here, but this island right right there. Do you see that little clearing right there of space? Everything looks like it's covered with forests except right there. Maybe you've got to know what you're looking at. Well, how did that get cleared? It got cleared. It was a Japanese runway in World War II. That was where they uh, had a bit of a, uh, some good uh, uh, port area for ships and then they flew in supplies and made that runway. And right, right near there is actually where the Japanese were finally finished and pushed off that region.
But Mushu Island's just beautiful. Uh, clear ocean water. That I stayed right at that place there on one, one evening. Um, and then there's the rivers, the inland rivers. This is the Sepik River, a massive one of the great rivers of the world. Um, and uh, just a wide flowing river and uh, houses a lot like this structure up on, you know, kind of a, a stilt or a strong beam and uh, the, uh, the, the roofing um, like that um, made out of the palm leaves. Um, then it's a land of mountains as well, just, be uh, just incredible mountainous island. You, there's, you can't drive from one side to the other. There aren't roads. You have to fly. Or, um, and uh, so let's take a trip to Papua New Guinea. Walk these trails, and that I walked that trail right there. That's from my camera right into a uh, uh, a village, and we preached the gospel there. Um, Papua New Guinea here is located uh, on an island of Papua. This whole island, Australia's down south, Indonesia's over here, and um, it's been divided. Uh, I think since the time of World War II. Um, into two parts. Uh, actually, before that, actually, uh, one side was colonized uh, by the British and Australia. Another was colonized by, well, several different countries. Right now, Indonesia uh, controls that. It's part of their country. This side is really Papua New Guinea. It's its own independent country since about 19, in the 70s, 75, I think. Um, and that's what we're talking about, or well, this region. What has, what has God done? Well, uh, in the history of this land, uh, going back to the World War, uh, let's uh, get my pointer going. Um, on the, um, I've got this very same pointer, so it's a little. I got it. it I know kind of how to make it work, and it, it's got the same trick to it as mine. <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. Um, so, uh, uh, in World War II, let's see. Here, I had it in a minute ago. There, I think we got it. Come on now. The. Um, Uh, it might be battery, could be battery. Okay, I'll let you do that. Um, on the north side of the island, there were military bases that would fly to the military bases on the south side over the island. And as they flew over the island, they saw this below them. Um, they saw people living there, and they were amazed, these round huts with these grass thatch roofs. Um, and some of them were believing young men. They were soldiers who were Christians. And they said, when I get out of the service, I'm going back. And they did. Um, and in the 1950s and 60s, they arrived. Uh, one of the men who arrived was a man named David Scoville. Some of you may know of Don Scoville. Um, it was his brother. They grew up in northern Minnesota. I didn't know till five years ago that Don Scoville had a brother who served the Lord. I always admired Don Scoville, but I admired his brother more. Don't tell him that. But um, uh, Dave Scoville became a missionary to this region of Papua New Guinea, and when he arrived, this is what he experienced. He experienced a people group that knew their spirits and their animistic ways were not meeting their needs. They wanted to hear the gospel, and they literally had thousands gathered to hear the gospel. On one particular occasion, they had a gathering in which thousands of people brought their idols, their fetishes, and all their spirit worship items, and they burned them. Um, and those people came to the Lord um, dear people, and they became national evangelists. Here's a picture of a couple of them going to their own people and going to the next tribe, preaching the gospel. 
Um, here is David Scoville. Then the final stage of his work, um, which he began from almost day one, was a Bible translation that was completed, and a Donny Bible was presented to the people um, uh, in the, I don't know if it was in the 1980s, uh, 90s, maybe even in the 2000s, in which that Bible was completed. What an incredible victory. Amen? That's what God has done in that region. Some amazing, that is one of the most dramatic stories of spiritual breakthrough in the, in the glories of missions. And it happened right there. Well, I've had the privilege to connect um, to uh, some of what God has been doing in that region. This man I'm next to is Brother Callistus. And he's going to be our partner there in Papua New Guinea. And I just want to give a short uh, testimony, a video here that will play with he and I together. We were together there um, in, in March. Um, and we went up the Sepik River, and I'll just let this video tell you a little bit about that. Uh, volume's up. Okay, we'll back up and start. Brother Callistus, he and I have been together these last 10 days asking God to show us his hand at work in this East Sepik uh, province of Papua New Guinea, really the least reached region of this nation. blessed by Brother Mark coming here, uh, giving us a lesson about uh, Go Mission and uh, the multiplication and uh, gospel advancing. It was something like if it was here, uh, we should have reached some of our villagers and we should have preachers and pastors and the multiplication and advancing of the gospel, but thank God that uh, maybe God is always right on time. It's like a fire fire of gospel advancing it's been started and it's been lit we also had the privilege to go up the Sepik river which is really one of the greatest uh, rivers in the world what do you see as the open door that is up that Sepik river the lord made everything possible for us we saw the end of the lord we saw the good end of the lord because i believe god has some future plan and god is uh, god eyes were on that uh, unreached region it was like a eye-opening and a heart-opening and God was mm -hmm. like showing us there's, there's, there are people there who needs to be rich. We went and we saw what God just told uh, Joshua and Caleb. We saw it there. Yes. The Lord said, you come and take it. It's your land. I give it to you. The people open the place, the environment and the places. Uh, people are very friendly, they're very open, and the English language is it's head in there. Yes. Okay, you can speak in English language. That's one thing It's it's really good about the yes. region up there. Sometimes you look at this amazing highway, this river, and you think, why 
why isn't more happening here? The door is wide open, so by God's grace, we'll, we'll step into that. I think the country is like an open door and an open field for youth to come and, um, and serve here. Yeah. And whatever way the Lord puts in your heart, this is an open door. Yes. Right now, with the Bibles being distributed across the country, it really is a moment to step into a wide open door. There's different parts of the world. Some are more closed than others. Some are opening, some are wide open. This is one that's wide open. When you find the wide open door, that's the one you stay in, that's the one you work in. Run into that one, and a whole bunch of people should rush into that one, and that's what is right here in this nation right now. Uh, thank those who have supported this endeavor and are going to continue to support this endeavor. We believe God intends to complete the Great Commission in this nation, um, and that we've got a vision and a biblical pattern that actually gives us hope and confidence that this can be done. Pray for Papua New Guinea, pray for laborers, pray for our particular uh, opportunities that God's hand would be upon them. And God is with us, and it's a joy to experience His presence in these outermost regions, and thank you for supporting us. So Brother Callistus, he lives, he's actually from this region. He's been trained and serving in another part of Papua New Guinea. But Mushu Island, that island right off of the coast um, in the East Sipa province is his home. We're going to join him um, and uh, be with him on that island for a couple of months. Um, there's a church that's already been planted there. We're just, just living alongside of him. And uh, this young man helped me go take a swim in the ocean. Um, warm water, uh, great place to swim. And the island is filled. Uh, obviously, they're continually fishing. This lady came and had this mackerel in her hand just from, from her boat ride just that morning. <laughs> so fish is abundant. Um, they eat uh, sago. Uh, sago is the kind of the heart of the palm tree called a sago palm. If any of you have read different missionary stories from that region of the world, very familiar reference to sago or sago. Um, it's pretty tasteless. Um, it, they, they'll knock a palm tree down or cut it down and then they'll just kind of carve into it and it becomes uh, kind of like a flowery type of thing and they run water through it and prepare it a couple different ways. And it is, it's kind of their staple, it's how they fill up, you know. Uh, and to them, to have a meal without sago is not eating, you know. Um, uh, some folks, without rice, you're not eating. Um, uh, we have such variety in our palates uh, here in the U.S. that we don't quite think in those terms, but their sago is, is food. Um, they'll, it's kind of like a, je uh, a jelly type of uh, a substance. That's a good word to use, jelly, better than slimy, you know. <laughs> better than gooey jelly we can handle jelly can't we kids right jelly slimy no let that go right um so you just got to name things right it's mental as much as uh as physical when it comes to eating you say i can never eat that you know some people can't believe you and i eat cheese you know uh, they're shocked they say you eat mold that's disgusting okay so so just give your brain a break you can eat anything, most anything, just get the right mindset, uh, and, uh, and it works. I usually figure if they live through it, I'll live through it. 
That's not always true, but it still, <laughs> it still helps. It still helps. Um, so uh, I, I, I would eat, my stomach at this point in life is not ever going to eat massive amounts of food. Um, and um, so I'll eat maybe one or two of those balls. And uh, I turned and was sitting next to Brother Callistus, and the, that ball on that, that's one bite for him. Like, how'd you do that? Um, and their plate's empty in no time. They love to eat. Um, the village welcomed us to actually speak in one of their gatherings, and our whole family's going to be going. Um, um, my son, except for my oldest, Mark, who uh, you'll hear, you'll give a testimony here in the service, he and his wife and two daughters, um, they're actually going to help lead a team, Lord willing, in June to come and join us. But the rest of us, uh, eight of our children, uh, and uh, my wife and I are going to go and live for about six months from December. I don't know what your plans for Christmas Day are, but on Christmas Day we fly out. And uh, we'll fly out to Papua New Guinea on December 25th and come back about Jan uh, June uh, 24th, about exactly 180 days. And, uh, so Go Mission is kind of how we describe uh, our mission's vision. Uh, what, what does it mean, Go Mission? Well, it starts with someone willing to go. As our brother was saying, the Great Commission begins with the word what? What go? What is it when you go? What, what's that called? You know what that's called? It's called a step of faith. Going is a step of faith. You never have all the answers, all the questions answered. Um, and so that, that holds us back in missions. I got to have all my questions answered. No, we need to prepare well, but there's always a step of faith. You go, and then when you go, you go and you connect. You connect with people. Um, and really, this was Jesus' pattern of relational multiplication. I'm not going to talk about this. Uh, too much, but he would, he, he, he presented himself and said, come and see. Can, gave an open invitation, come see, evangelize, spread the gospel, found out who was open, then invited people, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He immediately made those who began to follow him fishers. Go tell your story, go begin to witness. Uh, the, the key in the, great, in the Great Commission, the key in the missions is, in missions is not what the missionary does, it's what the people you lead do. And that leads to the third stage with the sin, when Christ said to his disciples, come be with me so that I can send you. And the reason why Jesus chose 12 was not because he could only find 12. He actually had hundreds and thousands already in Mark 3. The reason why he chose 12 was because he had to get close enough to men so he could send them and do the same thing he was doing. And that's the key in missions, um, is what those you reach will do who are of that region. And then that leads to stage four, where you put that entrust into their hand, uh, the mission, and it multiplies. And so that's the goal, is as you come to a region, that as you connect, the connections multiply and you reach an entire region. Really, this is God's heart. He said, the Great Commission is filled with regions. Reach Jerusalem and Judea. What's Judea? A region. And then he says, and then from Judea reach Samaria. What's Samaria? A region. So strategically, God doesn't act church by church. A church is a starting point. He strategically, God acts region by region. Um, so the Great Commission is an amazing thing individually, but it's also a powerful thing regionally. Um, and that's really the Great Commission. So as we think of how, how God wants to do, we have to have a heart for a region and act strategically in a region, and then we're actually on track for the Great Commission going forward. A couple regions that God's connected me to is Aquia. 
uh, and, and Cameroon, which you all have a, a deep connection to as well. Um, and uh, then we have uh, this East Sepik province and Papua New Guinea are a couple of them. And in those regions, there's two type of people that are actually prepared. In a region, you have prepared listeners. That's the white harvest. Um, we see that in uh, Romans 15, where Paul said that those who have never heard will understand. How's that happen? How do people who have never seen, how do they see? That's a prepared harvest. That's a prepared listener. There are people ready. How did that thing happen on the mountains among the Doni where 4,000 people were ready to listen within months of the missionary arriving? What do you call that? It's a move of God, isn't it? It's prepared listeners. You and I don't prepare the harvest. God does. And it's waiting when we get there. Amen? Prepared listeners. But there's another thing in the harvest. Not just prepared listeners. In the harvest is prepared leaders. You say, well, how am I going to find the people who will pastor the churches and who will become the regional evangelists there? I actually have God's word that says he's already working on that. Prepared leaders, we find in, in Acts 9, uh, talk about a prepared leader. That's the story of Paul who's on the road to Damascus, and there Jesus says to him, I have chosen you. Do you know not a single missionary made that happen? God did. He chose him. Uh, and then Paul goes out, and in 2 Timothy 3.15, he taught, remember he meets Timothy? On his first missionary journey in Galatia region, he meets Timothy. On his second missionary journey, he picks him up, right? And takes him on. But what does he say in 2 Timothy? He says to Timothy, from a child, you knew the Holy Scriptures. So I want to ask you this, who prepared Timothy to be a leader? Was it Paul? It was not Paul. He was already there. His mother and grandmother knew the Lord. Timothy was already saved. So who prepared him to be a leader? God did. Amen? Paul was just looking for that kind of person. And he was there. Ephesians 4 talks about the Holy Spirit gifts people, some to be pastors, some teachers, some evangelists. Who, who does that gifting? God does. And I've, I've met some of that. A prepared listener. Um, over here is a man, Augustine, seated next to me on the top of the screen there. He came on a Wednesday night. He and a man named Philip, they were both school teachers, arrived. They were the only ones that arrived that night as we waited to give the gospel. And that night, they both made professions. I don't know about Philip, but I know Augustine got saved that night. And just a few days later, um, the next day, that was on a Wednesday, a Wednesday evening in Batomo. The next day, we went and we had a gospel banner and we preached the gospel in different sides, different house quarters, four different times. That was Thursday. All day long, Augustine was with us. He got saved the day before. At the end of that Thursday, he says, tomorrow, come to my quarter. Tomorrow, come to my side. And we said, okay, we'll be there tomorrow morning. When we arrived, this is what we found there in that second picture. He had gathered over a hundred of his villagers, and they were all waiting to hear the gospel. And that day, probably about half of them made profession of faith. A couple days later, Augustine was, um, a, a, a few, was, he went out of town and he came back and we were preaching the gospel and he came in. I said, Augustine, come here, would you help 
make sure these, it's clear with these guys. And he sat down with three people right there. A fourth one was already a believer in three of them. And he gave a gospel, a witness, and I, I have the clip. I won't play it here. And he was so clear on making sure they were getting the gospel straight. Where'd he come from? Today, Augustine, I got, today Augustine continues to oversee, and, and they put up a shed, and he really is helping establish the believers in that village. That's seven, eight years ago. Um, here's another prepared leader, Brother Pastor Ernest over there in Cameroon. Probably many of you have heard about him. One of the key team with Tom Needham, and obviously he would have known Charles as well. Um, Brother Callistus was with me in 2014. We went out to a region. He was not with me as we began working, but as we went in April, he was with me, and we were doing uh, some of this multiplication uh, vision and ministry. And as he's with me, he told me, I, I found this out just a few months ago. He says, when I took that trip with you, the Holy Spirit told me in my heart, that's what I have for you. And he's given himself to that. Did I tell him this is for you? I didn't. I didn't lead him to the Lord. But now he's working in this way. Who did that? That was the Lord. That's God at work in the harvest fields of the world. Switching sides of Africa, here we are in Uganda. Um, I was just here um, last, uh, this was last November. I was in Uganda uh, in Mbale area. And this is a church that's being planted uh, right that you're looking at. And uh, the man seated right in the center of this picture, his name is Robert. Um, he built this little church building on his own property. Um, and he's planning a church. This is his mother and on one side, his wife on the other, and their three children. And um, it's, a, it's an awesome thing. Um, this man here was, he was actually not reached by the missionary who, changed, who trained him. Again, in the harvest, this man was a believer. Um, he got saved over in Kenya, was actually among the Anglican church, because that's what dominates. But he was a true believer, and he was waiting to be trained more, and, and, and he met with the missionary. Uh, same thing with Brother John uh, happened. Both these men were trained by missionaries, but were not reached by the men who trained them. They were waiting. They were saved. Now these two men work together often. They, they pastor their own churches, but they preach on the radio. And on the radio, they encountered this man, Moses, who was a very serious Catholic catechist. Um, but he obviously didn't know the gospel, and he heard, began to listen on the radio to what they were saying, and he became a believer. Then he was trained by them, and he went and pastored. Now he is training others, including this Robert. So Robert is now a young man pastoring a church on his own property, his own town, trained by Moses, who was trained by him. you got three generations right there. If you look at the missionary, into those two men, um, and then to Moses, to Robert. And that's what God's doing. Here's just a testimony from Robert here. Um, as he's a young man in the harvest, uh, pa pa planting a church in his, uh, in his uh, really in his village. I'm called Pastor Robert Mafutu. I'm a Ugandan. I want to thank God through this ministry. I'm serving at the ministry called Jesus Loves You Baptist Church. We are in Manafa. That's what he planted. Uganda. Jesus Loves You Baptist Church. So we thank God because he has not let us the way we were. He has given us strength since we started this church in, in last year, 2021. He has encouraged us, he has been faithful on our side because, as you know, being a starting point is not easy. 
But Christ said that things which are impossible in human are possible in godly, in, in godly eyes. So we have managed really, we thank God, because we began with few members as in the beginning. But right now, as you are, we are saying, we have almost 30 members. We have money to win people to Christ. Don't, we have money to win people to Christ by using a method of do 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 And this method really, it has produced good fruits. We have won many people, and I want to thank God through, through Pastor Mark being a sacrificial person. He has money to travel abroad to Uganda in order to spread the gospel and encourage other people to plant more churches. Because we are working and the Great Commission. Jesus said that go ye into the, the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. So through this ministry and through the doctrine of Baptist, really we thank God we have not remained the same. We have known the truth. We have known why people someone should be saved. Because of other doctrines which are also there, they don't even value about salvation. But winning someone to Christ, it is the most important part. Because the Bible says heaven celebrate for some, for one for repenting or to con to confess through his sin. So we thank you, may God bless you. That's a great testimony. Just a young man, he's been pastoring, preaching for about, for about a year, um, and God's used him to lead thirty folks gather and um, so uh, that's God at work in our world. Well, I want to uh, I want to give you this survey of global population. What you're looking at right here is basically the population of the world in what year? What year would that be? Year what? Who can read that graph? Year 50, right? Halfway to 100. So this is year 50. What, what's, what's happening about the year 50? It's about the year of the Great Commission, right? Uh, the Lord told, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every, creatures. How, every creature. How many creatures were there? We had about 172 million at that time. Roughly there up to 200 is a good educated guess. This is just by uh, uh, you know, geographical study, uh, studies. Um, well, if we move out 500 years from the 50 to 500, we go to 177 million. What do you note, note about that? Pretty much the same. Not a lot of change. We move out to 1,000. Now we're up to 254 million. Um, and where do you see is the highest density of world population? Can you see that on the map? Each of those yellow lights are... Uh, 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 represent a million, each yellow dot. Right here, right? North side of India. Do you know that to this day, it still is the most densely populated region of our world? In fact, I was in that region in 2010, and I met a couple men, Mohan and Arun, who, are, who wanted to reach that region. And uh, they had researched, and they had found that in their research, that really very little work was happening across Uttar Pradesh. That's what it's called. It simply means North State. Um, and all these counties, blocks, they really found nothing that was happening. The only places they found some Christian 
identity was where the British cantonments, kind of the compound Christianity happened within the foreigners' control. Uh, and they were very burdened about it. Um, and they said, what we want to do is we want to establish disciples who will make disciples. We're asking God for 100,000 disciples, and they were asking God in 10 years to reach 10% population, to go from less than 1% to 10%. And they said the two things we need to do is a massive prayer effort and a systematic church planting effort. And they put together this prayer map that just identified all the strongholds, the gurus, the teachers, the locations, the idols, and they began to encourage folks, pray for India, pray strategically against that stronghold, against that influence. Um, and then they began to work, and they would go into a particular block. This would be at one of these sections, and they would ask the Lord to give them a starting point, and they would say, Lord, we want to get 10 contiguous villages with a church, a group of believers in every one of them, and uh, they had an overseer, an evangelist, if you will, um, and they had a plan where they would uh, survey, they would pray in this region, look for open houses, and then begin a relationship of up to 18 visits in which they shared the gospel, and this was their plan, starting with prayer to a personal testimony, to the story of the prodigal son, to the character of who Jesus is and his power and his death on the cross, and they would lay that out over a period of successive visits, um, week by week. And then they were equipping people to take that same per and go and teach and uh, evangelize the next, uh, the next village. And here was a gathering where they saw this man who had reached, reached in 2002, him in 2005, he reached him in 2006, he reached him in 2008, he reached her in 2009. And they've had gatherings of literally 30,000 new believers in that region. Um, and a plan that they would teach them uh, progressive doctrine and truth, and they began to map out what God was doing. And here's a, a map of the open villages. Here's a map of the houses and the number of houses open for prayer. Here's a map of disciples being uh, discipled in that region. Here's one of the churches actually planted um, some, a couple over 100 churches, some in the 30 to 50, some in the 6 to 12 range. Um, and uh, and they didn't reach 10%. They didn't reach 10% in 10 years. Maybe about 2%. I think God got a lot of glory out of that. Amen? Um, they had the right vision. My daughter and I had the privilege of visiting over there, uh, drinking coconut water right out of a coconut. That'll keep you alive, if nothing else will. Um, my daughter made friends there with uh, these Indian uh, uh, Indian girls who really welcomed her, loved having her there. Uh, here was a lady in the middle. She was uh, miraculously healed and answered a prayer. She was a Brahmin caste, high caste Indian, very difficult to reach, and she was paralyzed. And God raised her up. She knew it was the Lord, and she is a fervent believer, just rejoicing in the Lord. She'll stand out with her Bible in the street and read it out loud so that everyone in her village and her area can hear the gospel. And the church being planted by another Indian from another region um, I don't have time, but my daughter's been able to actually reach, and we saw this young Indian boy who lives just a few streets over from us in Menominee Falls, right up here in Wisconsin, and he came to Christ uh, right here. And uh, God has given her the opportunity to reach Indian, uh, fam uh, Indian family uh, right here. Or her, her, uh, the parents are not saved, uh, but they absolutely love Anna Faith. She could take her anywhere, and they trust her in implicitly just 
uh, and she established an amazing relationship, and that boy's got a clear testimony of salvation. Autistic, um, and so a challenge, and Anna Faith's love for him and her care for him is sometimes better than their love for him, and they see the love of Christ in that. So going back to the global population, um, the, um, uh, the population, the bubonic plague was the only time where world po population sank. Um, it wasn't coronavirus. Um, bubonic plague was on a far different level than, than recent issue. Um, but by 1500, we reached basically a half billion. By 1500, a half a billion. By the way, what's happening on our side of the world? Not too much. Maybe we're the uttermost parts of the earth. Um, sometimes we think the world centers on us. I don't know that's a good opinion. Um, God's reached us. We're not the center point. We have a responsibility to reach the rest of the world. Amen? What if no one came here? We'd be as lost as anyone. We think, well, we're Christian. Not automatically. Someone came here. Amen? Someone came here. The rest of the, world's won't be, rest of the world won't be Christian until someone goes there. It's not automatic. We're not Christian, apart from the grace of God. Amen? Um, by 1820, we reach 1 billion. By 1920, we reach 2 billion. Can you say that with me? Uh, going backwards. Uh, 1820, 1 billion. 1920, okay, say it one more time. 1820, 1 billion. 1920, 2 billion. All right. Then, okay, there's... Then we come to, let's say, 2020, just for the sake of a reference. 1820, 1920, 2020. We reach 2020. 9.5 is a little bit out further. We're really, we crossed 8 billion last November, 2022. We'll say 2020. So, 8 billion, 2020. Okay, let's back up. Oops. There we go. All right, there we go. All right, okay. 1820, 1 billion. 1920, 2 billion. 2020, 8 billion. What happened in the first 500 years? No growth. What's happened in the last 200 years? 1 billion to 8 billion. Um, and look at the massive population that is there. Um, so, when Christ gave the first Great Commission, or he gave the Great Commission, what did he mean? He meant reach that. 172 million. Has the Great Commission changed? Has it changed? Has it been rescinded? Have we lost the power for it? Can it not be done? So then... If the Lord means the Great Commission in our day, this is what he means. Eight billion. He has to. It hasn't changed. And it can be done. I believe this with all my heart. We're, we are living in the greatest era of world missions ever. We have to be. Just based on the mercy of God 
that is new every morning and that has not ended in our day. Does God not have enough mercy to reach 8 billion? You don't think the heart of God doesn't have an incredible passion? It has to be greater than ever if this is the need. So, God said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He said that. So where will you go? Young people here, where will you go? Listen, don't miss the opportunity of a lifetime. The opportunity, opportunity of your lifetime. Don't miss it. It's waiting for you. A world is waiting. Where will you go? Let's end in prayer. Father, thank you for what you're doing in the world. Thank you for those who have gone. Thank you for a vision that is greater than ever. I pray you'd stir our hearts with the responsibility that we have and the, the, the promises that we have and the plan that we have. And Lord, thank you for the privilege to join you in what you're doing. We pray you'd call out, young, you'd, you'd increase the vision of this body and you'd call out our sons and daughters and even our adults to go to join you in the unreached regions of the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.